There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticing. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I said I better come back while I still have a job to come back to. She knocked it out of the ballpark last week, did our Fiona. Congratulations and well done. But I'm back. Live and dangerous. Sounding different too. I like that. That's sexy. Morning all, 1850-715-996. The number to call, the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. We have a man now to tell you all those, <laughs> but hey, I'll still do it anyway. Busy, busy weekend news-wise. Uh, we'll talk to Arthur Edwards, our good friend from The Sun, uh, later about the uh, death, the passing of Prince Philip. Anthony, that's on your mind locally. Is Fungi back? Is Fungi in Cork? Has he sort of gone on a little sojourn around the coast from where he disappeared from Kerry last November? Has he gone outside of his 5K and arrived in Cork? We don't know for sure, but he might have. We'll check that up later on. But first of all, let us go to the fire that could be seen from all the four corners of our city last Friday evening. A fire up at the recycling centre in Churchfield and the Echo reporting and the radio news has it. Foul play is not thought to be suspected now in relation to that major fire which broke out at a recycling centre in Churchfield Friday evening. Gardaí were at the scene. Inquiries are ongoing but there are no reports of it being foul play. Councillor Ken O'Flynn uh, was tweeting over the weekend about it and uh, Ken it was distressing to see but thankfully nobody was injured. Good morning. Well, Good morning and uh, welcome back and Thank you're you. quite right. Fiona did a magnificent job in fairness. Uh, I, I'd be getting very worried and I wouldn't be taking too many holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Go on you messer. <laughs> do, yeah. but, look PJ I suppose actually the events of the weekend were, were quite shocking and disturbing for, for a lot of people. 
in the sense of, you know, where it was happening, what was going on, was it foul play, what was it vandalism. Um, and, you know, I suppose really the big heroes of the story have to be our firefighters yeah. who got everything under control by six o'clock in the morning. You're talking about a fire breaking out about eight o'clock and uh, like you say I was tweeting about it but my god my my um, messaging service and, and social media services went crazy people telling me exact locations and, and keeping me abreast of things and up to date uh, as only court people do in fairness uh, and I suppose really the messages over the last weekend have been concerns about what's happening up there um, concerns about uh, the, the having a recycling plant so nearby to a lot of residents um, and as we said thankfully it didn't spread it you know if we were in high winds we could have had a serious problem up on the north side of the city yeah. uh, and that's something that we have to look for look at and plan now how, how close are the nearest houses to it Ken I was trying to figure out maybe 100 150 yards that would be all yeah that would be all even if, if even 150 yards you know and you know I, I, I've witnessed myself how a fire can cross a road. I can remember many years ago living in Spain and a hotel catching fire and taking out the, not only the roads next to it, but uh, actually across, across a highway. You know, and it, it does happen. Fires have spread so were, quickly. Were residents at one stage told, close your windows and stay indoors? Well, absolutely, absolutely. And avoid the area because, you know, you'll always get the person that will drive up to see us. Or, or, you know, um, we had um, fire trucks coming from all directions. The black smoke was bellowing. You don't know what carcinogenics or what, what, what's actually there in the recycling plant. It can't be very, very good to be to be breathing in that stuff. Um, from some of the photographs I saw, it looked like tires. Uh, that there was a tremendous amount of tyres up there as well. Um, so, you know, of course, you, you know, the natural thing is clo- uh, protect yourself, close your windows, and, you know, uh, and because A, the smell, uh, and B, the, the damage that it can, the smoke can actually cause into your home as well, you know. Dirt, you know? By the very um, nature of it, though, recycling yeah. plant, a dump effectively. Yeah. The, the fire brigade, the, the efforts of the fire brigade, you, you can't underestimate or you can't understate how well they you did know, they, on Friday. They, they, they came from Anglesey Street, they came from Balafalan, they came, I think there, there was some from Balancholic. Tankers were brought up as well. Uh, they did an amazing job. They really did an amazing job. And I suppose we're all very lucky and thankful that nobody was hurt including our firefighters, mm. that nobody, that, that there was no serious damage, there wasn't a spread of fire. But it does um, make us question our decisions of where we're putting our recycling plants and where we're putting our dumps, and I think that needs to be looked at again. Yeah. I think that needs that needs serious. Well, uh, I imagine that's a debate that will rear its head in it, the weeks it, and months to come. Cer- certainly over city council as well, you know. And look, at, you know, I'm not going into it with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a fully planned site. It, it is, is. And, and look, there's and nothing worse there. also, Ken, than the smell of a fire the day after. What was it like up there Saturday? Well, Saturday I, I I I called up there on Saturday and I met one or two firemen who were still who were still on the sea early in the morning, uh, and yes, there was look there was a horrendous smell, uh, and then I got calls as well about the water level because so much water had been used. There was no, there was virtually no water on in Churchfield area, and taps were coming up with brown water because it was it was hitting the end of the reservoir, you know. Um, but look, look, yeah, there was a, a serious. A strong smell of burn in the air um, and smolder, and that was that was throughout the entire weekend. I haven't been there yesterday evening, so that's that's still. But 
you are talking a very, very serious tr- smell uh, coming across the North Bay from it. Kate, you know? Kate is raising a question that I think a lot of people would have raised Friday night, Saturday, whatever. You know, what if, like Kate says, all it would have taken was a strong wind or a change in wind direction and, and it doesn't bear thinking about No, and that's, and that's why I say we're extremely lucky. We're extremely lucky that it didn't take off. Like if a, if a, if a large bit things. of burning debris was taken in the wind and landed on the roof of a house or a garden and, and shed and the, or... Whatever. That's the reality of it. And that's how dangerous things and how easy these, these things spread, you know. And, you know, they say the word wildfire, there's, no, there's, there's nothing wilder than it. Um, and, and that's the reality. We've, we've been, uh, to quote a phrase, we've been haunted in, mm. in, how, in how lucky we've been. Uh, and how quickly the um, our services, our firefighters, got everything under control. But you say it's obviously he's a fully planned and fully authorised yeah. and fully, uh, you know. And like, but will, does its future have to be considered now, Kate? I, I, well, you know, there 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 is pla- there is um, planning, and that's that's there for us, and it, ha- it has it has that agreed. And I think there was, as you recall, there was there was lots of stories about it and lots of protests up on stage and people going to bump and all and all this sort of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Look, it is there. Um, it'll be no up to the owners whether they're going to continue there yeah. or whether it can be continued there. I, I think now we are going to, especially with our new city development plan, we're going to have to seriously look at where we're using. And, you know, maybe it's time to revisit the Bottle Hill things and and have a look at what's happening okay. there because there's there's serious delays there, as you know, Indeed. and it never, took, it never opened. Um, or portions of it didn't open uh, and perhaps we need to revisit where, where we're putting these sites as well, you know. Alright, leave it there for now. Thank you very much, Councillor Ken O'Flynn, Cork City Council. Councillor McNugent says the issues of several waste collection facilities in one area near residential estates has been raised before and needs to be raised again. But Kate's comment is vital there. A change in the wind, direction, strength, Whatever. Change in the wind, all it took was one change in the wind in the wrong direction at the wrong strength. And we could have been talking about something much more serious than we are this morning. Thankfully, that didn't happen. 1857 15996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. The 5K restrictions have finally been lifted, and Cork is your oyster. So, wherever you're headed, make sure you're with me on the big drive home for all the latest in Cork traffic. I've got the biggest showbiz stories, and as always, the best music mix. I'll talk to you weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. The big drive home. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96FM. On Friday, I was just popping around the radio stations, getting back into the swing of things. And I was doing as I normally do, popping into BBC Radio 5 just to catch up. And everything just stopped. The entire BBC went into what they call Operation Fourth Bridge. This has been planned for decades, and Operation London Bridge is the obvious big one for when Queen Elizabeth is no longer with us. But Operation Fourth Bridge was that massive takeover of the media uh, 
to announce the death of of Prince Philip. Like everything stopped. The BBC just went <laughs> stopped the brakes up and straight into uh, tribute mode for Prince Philip, Duke, Duke of Edinburgh, who died on Friday morning at the age of 99, just two months and one day short of his 100th birthday. Born in Greece uh, in 1921, in Corfu, in fact, and then obviously married his cousin. Let's not make a big deal out of it. Like, they're not exactly blood cousins kind of thing, but married his cousin and became royal consort and Queen's consort and became one of the best known men in the world. Uh, his face was one of the best known faces in the world. If you watch the, the Crown actually on Netflix, particularly series one and series two, you learn an awful lot about the history of how he became Duke of Edinburgh and Royal Consort and all of that. He passed away on Friday and I was immediately thrown back and reminded that Actually, it's almost 10 years since he was here in Cork because that very famous visit to the English market happened 10 years ago this year in May of 2011. And I'm sure when it comes around, we'll mark it uh, with some of the audio from the time because I have it all. And we'll listen back to, to some of those moments. But I was... <laughs> thought, first of all, of course, of uh, Pat O'Connell at the English market of great memories of that day uh, and, and that afternoon. Uh, and when he met, albeit very briefly, he met Prince Philip. What was he like, Pat? Good morning. To meet him like that briefly. Oh, God, what was he like? I, I suppose I was struck by how ordinary he was and how down-to-earth he was. Um, <laughs> excuse me, Peter. Um... And I suppose he he was a man that put you very much at ease very quickly because there was no pomp and ceremony. He was up for a good chat and a good laugh. And um, I think that's what struck me more than anything about them, really, was that they were a fantastic couple who obviously had a link that was there and and that ran very deep. Um, And they were just, you know so chatty and so friendly and nothing like I had perceived if I managed to load it beforehand. You'd have been very nervous expecting people who were very standoffish and, and just doing this because it was in the diary. I would have been nervous because of the fact that I didn't know them and, and, and obviously how do you strike up a conversation and a relationship in the space of three or four minutes and, and try and highlight what you want to do about your your favourite city, as the fellow said, and, and your favourite place of business. Um and that was the nervousness, but I think after two or three seconds, it was quite obvious that you know these people were up for a, for a bit of fun and, and a bit of a laugh and a bit of a chat, and that all dissipated very quickly, and and we got on like a house on fire, really. Mm, ten years ago, Pat. Ten years ago, hard to imagine. Only seems like yesterday, Peter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a story that won't go away, really. But <laughs> no, won't. It just, I, I was just listening back actually last night to some of the news reports from the day. So we'll be having some fun with that come the month, yeah, the, month just, the month of yeah, May. The month of May, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah he yeah. he seemed to be very relaxed, much more so than you would think. Absolutely, totally. And I mean, he was interested in the market. He was interested in the produce. So it was just so easy to talk to, to, to both of them, really. Um, and as I say, the pressure dissipated within the second three or four seconds. And we just had a really good bit of fun on the day. Um, and they absolutely loved it and loved Cork and loved the English market. Um, 
and you know the reception on the streets that they got and you know for the old enemy it was a really um, it, was, it was an amazing welcome really when you saw what, what happened in Cork yeah yeah yeah, and it was it was a great day, and I was part of it. As I know, you know, I was behind your counter that, that day, yeah. and it was it was incredible, an incredible moment to no, be that part of. Much order to be on today, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I didn't, no, no. <laughs> Go on, you messer, Pat. I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Thanks very much, Pat O'Connell, uh, Royal Fishmonger Supreme, of course, from the English market. Ten years ago this May, and we'll remember it when we come to it. But I just wanted to to bring Pat into the conversation before. Uh, I'll let you hear this. I spoke last evening with a man who's become, and I'm delighted to say, a friend of the show here. Uh, he is Arthur Edwards. Uh, you've heard him on uh, more than once now. Arthur Edwards has, for the last four decades, been the official royal photographer for The Sun. But more than that, he is one of the most senior of all royal press and has travelled on dozens of international trips and taken some of the most intimate photographs, close-up photographs of the Queen and Prince Philip over the last four decades. And there's a, a lovely piece in the sun over the weekend where Arthur chose some of his favourite photographs over that 40 years. It's it just, if you Google him, Arthur Edwards, the son, it'll come up and some of the photographs that he took of them. And he was, because of his privileged position as being one of the most trusted of the royal photographers, he was able to get right up close. And sometimes he'd get to take the photo that, that made all of the newspapers, not just the son. In fact, I think he did take that iconic photograph that was his copy of that photograph that went global, the one down at the English market. So I spoke uh, with Arthur on Skype last evening. Arthur Edwards, good to speak with you again. Given that in, as a senior member of the, of the Broyle Press, as it were, you'd have gotten to know Prince Philip reasonably well. I suppose our thoughts were with you at the weekend. Talk to me a bit about him. Like, we don't know much about Prince Philip other than what we saw on the television or read in the newspaper over the years. His duty was to the Queen... As well as his wife, she was his queen. Yeah, and also his boss. Well, in fact, if you think about it, he was uh, she was the head of state, uh, but he was the head of the household. And in fact, that's how it worked. You know, he would make all the decisions to do with the family, or they would make them collectively. But, but the thing is, when like, which school the children went to, and uh, you know, reorganising the palace kitchens slimming down the staff, that was all down to him. And, um, and the Queen, of course, went along with that. It's a, it's a solitary job anyway. It's a, almost a thankless task. I mean, you are just one, the Queen. You are the head of the state. You are in this electronic goldfish bowl. Everybody watches everything you say. We had bets before she turns up what colour she's going to wear. I've never won a bet once yet on that because she's just the amazing woman. But the fact is she won't have Philip to confer with privately after she's met the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister might say they're going to introduce in some legislation. She wants to discuss that with someone. She wants to keep that herself. She would do it with Philip. She would sit there and say, what do you think, you know? And, and he is a very, very balanced, very intelligent man who talk it through together. Was he your closest and most valued counsel, would you say? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they were married 73 years. They used to, they used to on a tour... They would be talking to each other, but they but you wouldn't see it. They say she'd just say one word or two words, and he he nod. Or it was incredible. They had a great uh, telepathy between them, and 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 you know they. <laughs> I remember one time they signed a visitors book, and uh, 
and the Queen signed it first at the Guildhall in London, the City of London, and then the Duke signed it, and then he turned to the Queen and said, what's the date today? And she said, it's November the 14th, Charles's birthday. That's how she went to him. Charles's birthday, like, so you should have remembered it. your <laughs> eldest son's birthday today. Like, like, anyone would, like any woman would give out to her husband for forgetting their son's birthday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned tours, Arthur, and of course the most famous tour of all, the one that's close to us here, you were here for it, uh, the visit in the English market, the visit to Cork. You know, I was 10 feet away from them when that iconic photograph was taken. Um, that was a, an unusual moment as a royal tour went because she went off script. She then walked out of the market across the street to meet some young children. Security nearly had a fit when they saw this yeah. happen. They yeah. were very comfortable here that day. Well, that's right. And the best reception they got, the whole visit was in Cork. I mean, look, that, if I were to go that trip, was the best. I always say when people ask me it was the best tour I ever did. Ireland, of course, because hey, I've been going to Ireland for over 50 years. I'm married to a lovely Irish woman and I love the country dearly. But I, every year I used to ask, are you going, is the Queen going to Ireland this year? No, it was never right. It was more trouble in the north or there was political problems, but it was never right. And then one year I went to a, um, a reception at the Irish Embassy, Christmas reception, and Terry Wogan said to me, you know, he said, do you know the Queen's going to Ireland? I said, no, I don't know. He said, yeah, we've been told she's going to Ireland. And then, of course, I rang the palace and they wouldn't confirm it. But when I finally got it confirmed, I think I was the first name on the list. And and those speeches there, I mean, Dublin Castle, mm. when the Queen spoke in Irish, and they just all gave her all absolutely magnificent applause. I was there at the Dublin Convention Centre when she stood on the stage and the audience clapped her for five minutes, five mm. minutes. And there, you, in that audience was the former T-shirt, former presidents, all there to welcome the Queen. It was just an amazing. It just gives me uh, just amazing good feelings. The Garden of Remembrance when when the British national anthem was played in there. I mean, God, can you imagine that? Mm. Imagine that. So, you know, it was a, it was a it was a tour. And as Neri McAleish said on the Angry Mar program this morning, you know, it seemed to put all the baggage behind us, and and it was. It was just an amazing. And ever since then, Prince Charles has gone to Ireland every year, a different part of Ireland, to keep that goodwill going. Mm. Bring us back to that afternoon in Cork where, as I said, I was uh, extremely close. That was, a, that was a wonderful afternoon. Well, I went into CPAT uh, before the Queen got there and he was going to show her a monkfish. I said, that's an ugly fish, Pat. Have you got a salmon? He said, yeah, we've got a salmon. I said, we'll show her a salmon. So, of course, the salmon was uh, the highlight. And, of course, he's, he's a great character anyway. And the Queen was listening to him and the Duke was listening to him and but it was the queen. It was the reaction of the queen to the salmon, and I took the pictures. And um, and also before I went, I took some pictures of his staff and everything just for him. And uh, afterwards, I went back and said, "What's happened to the salmon?" He said, "Someone I was going to get it stuffed." He said, "But someone has sold it." I said, "I don't actually get for it." He said, "125 euros." <laughs> well, that's a good price. <laughs> so, and then he said, then he, of course he did a book and he became quite famous. And uh, he wrote to me and asked if I could use if he could use my pictures in his book, which he did. And, uh, and, of course, when the Prince of Wales went there two years ago, I mean, he went to the English market. And where did he go? The fish stall with Pat O'Connell. So, you know, it's become a sort of uh, probably a necessary stop. Anyone losing their husband of 72 or 73 years, it's, it's a huge loss. But, but to her, Arthur, in your understanding, you know, she will be bereft, will she not? She'll be heartbroken. I mean, this was a man that, she fell in love with when she was 14 years of age. She married him in 1947, just after the war. And uh, 
went to as as a wife of a serving officer. She lived in Malta, and 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 loved it. Had her two children, and then her, kid, her father died, and she was queen at 25. He had to give up his naval career. He was captain a captain of a destroyer out of Malta, HMS Magpie. He was he was going places. This was a this was a man who was mentioned in dispatches during the First World War. It was at the at the uh, Tokyo Bay when the Japanese surrendered. So he's a man who was uh, obviously destined for great things, but he gave it all up for the Queen to serve the Queen as her consul. And you know that in itself was a great sacrifice. But he, if he did anything, he did it properly. He read two books a week, never about anything but science, um, uh, engineering, uh, mm. good, good, good non-fiction. We would forget that about him, would we not? That he has always been interested in science and engineering and aviation and, and all of that. Everything. And he was always interested, always. He worked out every day and a bulwark, the old-fashioned bull worked out every single day. He ate very little. I mean, when when uh, he used to go to these dinners and they'd be served lunches, sorry, and they'd have they on an exotic lunch room. The, the staff would say, no, not that. He'll have a sandwich and a small beer, a small light beer. That's what he had for lunch. He looked after his weight very much. He didn't overeat. It's incredible about that. And I mean, even, I've never, he didn't even go grey, you know. He just, he just aged, but he never went grey. He was just, and, and the last job I did with him, which is in July last year, was um, he was handing over his colonel-in-chief to the rifles to the Duchess of Cornwall, Camilla. And there was a short ceremony at um, at Windsor Castle. And I went there and he walked out of there, 99. He stayed for about 20 minutes. And that in that time, he spoke to all the soldiers. He laughed with them. He joked with them. But he was ramrod straight, absolutely straight. As it, and and, he's, and he was, voice was clear and, and concise. And, he, and it was just like the old days when he was on tour. It was the most amazing uh, experience to still be there, and that was the last time I saw him. And uh, and and of course, the last pictures of him leaving hospital. I think he went home to die. Yeah. Do you think that now we were talking around the time when when he was unwell, and it now appears reading the papers over the weekend that that meeting he had with Charles in the hospital was to officially say, "Look, son, uh, yeah. balls in your court now." Yeah, that's right. And you've got to take care of your mother, steer her through it be there with her and, and they were every one of the family will now turn out and support the queen and uh whatever she does i we've got a week of mourning now you know it's black tide all this week and um uh, we'll see the funeral's on saturday it's private it's, that's what he wanted i'm not surprised about that he wanted no fuss he never wanted fuss i remember ringing up saying when he was 80 saying what's he doing for um his birthday in 80 and he said What's the big deal about being 80? <laughs> That's it. You see, no, nothing. It was just never, ever in his um, thinking about things like that. He wasn't in for that sort of a lifestyle. He wanted a simple life. When he worked on his own, when he went on an engagement on his own, he was a different person. He was the, he was the main attraction, and he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he, I went to Lord's Cricket Ground with him not long before he retired with all the former England batsmen, and he was fantastic with them, talking bats, talking bowling, talking everything. He was just tremendous. And uh, and that's how I remember him. I remember him as being a man's man, uh, as, uh, told, talk to you straight, never, ever did anything but talk to, not me straight, everybody straight. And uh, and for that, we're, um, we're, we're going to miss him. It was in 
the UK uh, for the Silver Jubilee celebrations in the 70s. I was a, I was a young lad and, and I, my first chance to see the adulation then with which the royal family were held. That's changed now, I think, Arthur, it's fair to say. But this man was held in such high esteem by the people of, of Britain. That's true, he was. Um, the Queen, of course, is is the one that's held in high esteem. The Queen was always... I mean, when the Queen and the Duke went on an engagement, it was all about the Queen. It was always about the Queen. Um, and, um, I mean, look, you know, if there was a Duke of Edinburgh job on his own, sometimes you wouldn't even bother going because, you know, he just wasn't... He wasn't, he wasn't what was publishing. It was always about the Queen. Um, and we took the Duke for granted. Well, I think in later years, when he decided to retire... And we saw every time the Queen went on an engagement, maybe one of the one of the grandchildren went with her, or one of her sons, a daughter, Princess Anne, went with her. Always someone else accompanied her because she needed that person. She needs someone who she can totally trust to confide in. And and um, and you never heard any gossip or any scandal about the Queen ever because she's very careful who she talks to. And um, and she who will she talk to now, Arthur? Well, she talks to her dresser, Angela Kelly. She's a, a, a confidant. She's got a couple of ladies in waiting, but it will be the Prince of Wales now. And are they close? They're quite close, yeah. They're quite close, yeah. I mean, the Prince of Wales um, is, you know, talking about him, he's the most prepared monarch in waiting we've got. You know, he's just an amazing man. Uh, he's my favourite member of the royal family, actually, and mm. I enjoy working with him tremendously. I go on every trip to Ireland with him because, A, I love being in Ireland, but I love seeing the way that he responds to the people there, you know. I mean, a comparison to him and, and Harry, when Charles went to kill Kenny, they gave him a, a hurley and a sitter, and he threw it up in the air and he knocked the ball out of the park. And he could have missed it, he could have looked a fool, but he, he didn't. He hit it, and he hit it well. When we went to Croke Park with Harry, and he was offered the same thing, he refused to do it. That's the difference, you know. Charles... Uh, as our as our Prince of Wales and our future king, our monarch in waiting, has always had a go. He might fail, but he's always had a go. And that's what I love about him. You mentioned Harry there in, in yeah. passing. He is coming over for the funeral. Uh, will the issue, the controversy, raise its head at all over the weekend, Arthur? Well, we hope it's settled. We hope that someone can knock their boys' heads together and uh, and get them talking again. I think that's the main problem. I mean, the fact that he wants to live in America with his wife and child and the, and his and his baby to come, uh, that's his decision. And fair yeah. enough, he can do that. But you can't you can't rubbish the royal family. I mean, the Duke of Windsor was also he he exiled himself with his wife, um, Mrs. Simpson. But he never trashed the family. He never said a bad word about the family. And Harry making that, whatever he said about, I got married three days beforehand, or she said, and, and whatever they said, it was the racist slur that they left on the royal family, which was the terrible thing. And whatever you say now, that was the worst thing, because in my view, there's no one in that family like that. I've travelled to Africa, 15 countries in Africa with the royals, I've travelled to the West Indies unteen times, India at least 10 times. I've seen it with the Aboriginal people, Prince Charles getting dressed up in all the stuff with them. They're not, they're not, don't even think like that. 
And that remark, you know, that she made saying that all they were concerned about was the colour of Archie's skin was absolutely a most terrible thing they could have said because it's left everybody saying, which one was it who said it? And do you know what? I think it might have been just someone. This was long before they were married, the remark was made. Could have been just someone saying, well, you know, you could, you know, if you get married, you probably, you, at least you can wonder what colour the child's going to be, which apparently, with mixed race people, that's that's a normal topic of conversation. But it was, it was, it was, it was the fact that he then went and told her, which I would never have done. If someone said to me about my wife, who's Irish, and it was hurtful, I would not go home and tell her that because it would hurt her. I'd probably admonish the person who said it, but I wouldn't go and say to her. You know, because it would hurt her, and I wouldn't want that. Lastly, yeah, you're all right, you're all right. La- last, lastly, Arthur, come back to the Queen. I mean, she herself is, is 95, and, and as you say, she's been monarch now since 1952. Next year will That's be, right. what, 70, 70 years? 70. Arthur, in your opinion, which we would hold in high regard, will she hold out now, or will she step aside for Charles What's she going to do? She's ninety-five years of age. She could she could retire and, and have a bit of peace in her in her final years. You know, I don't know. I think like that quite a lot. You know, something in me tells me that she'll go on, but also something tells me that you know, without Philip, she may not want to. Is she in good health? Oh, she's in brilliant health. Yeah, I mean, I saw her the other day, and she's in really good health. But would you want to carry on without? without your soulmate, you know, would you want to, maybe it just, I mean, she's just got herself two new dogs um, and uh, she's crazy about horses. She's got a lovely stud at Sandringham where she could spend her time. And, uh, and, you know, she might just hand it over to Prince Charles, not necessarily uh, abdicate, but retire and make probably Prince Charles the regent. Right. Um, But that, that could happen. There's several things. I often wonder now, just, um, what, what she will do, but, you know, what she does, um, uh, we don't know. And, and what she's thinking, we don't know. You never know what the Queen's thinking anyway, whatever. You never second-guess her. Well, after 40 years following her around the world, taking her picture, I'll take that yeah. as read from you. Arthur Edwards, always a pleasure to speak with you on Cork's 96FM. Take care. God bless. Bye. Nice man. He was getting a little bit uh, emotional there towards the end. That's why I told him he's always, 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 lovely man. Uh, he's coming up for 82 now, is, is Arthur, and still working. Uh, he'll be out all this week at any events to do with the funeral and all of that. Uh, and his wife, by the way, not only is she Irish, uh, she's from Blackrock. And I spoke with her briefly last evening, actually, as I rang up at the appointed time to make sure that Arthur was waiting to go with the Skype. And I rang his home number and she answered. We were chatting about the pedestrianisation of the marina. Well, up to date about it all, too. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Corks 96 FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Leah Hart. Hey, I'm Leah Hart. Being the Select Irish Artist for the Month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. 
They're all Select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96FM. It was a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96FM.ie forward slash Select Irish. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Quartz 96FM. Quick reminder of what you can do from today because Level 5 starts to ease from this morning. I, I don't propose to do numbers, not on my first day back. I'll do some tomorrow, but I think our numbers in Cork are doing really well over the last few days in particular. But from today, KC went out the door saying that he was going to go now and get into his car and drive down to Barley Cove for a can of Coke and a bag of potatoes. <laughs> but you can. You can travel anywhere now in the county. If you live near the border with another county, you can travel 20 kilometres from your home into that county, but anywhere at all in the county of Cork as of today. All the teenagers, all the kids are all back to school, which is good to see, and some return of construction. Uh, there'll be more of that come later in the month. Uh, it's not ent- entirely sure what is returning construction-wise, more essential house building and that kind of stuff, uh, whether they're going to be doing your your new windows anytime soon. I don't know, but some construction back as of today. Later on, I'll be talking about that very interesting Eroctus report that came out last week about the importance of vitamin D. Our very good friend, Dr. John Campbell, uh, that YouTube presenter, uh, nursing tutor, nursing professor, uh, who does those wonderful educational YouTube talks every day. He did one over the weekend about that Eroctus report on vitamin D. He thinks it's brilliant. Uh, we'll be talking about that a bit later on as well. 1850-715-996. On Prince Philip, uh, John says, I feel sorry for the loss of the individual as I do with any human being, but I think the amount of grief for an individual who never had to worry about putting his hand in his pocket, never had to worry about health care, etc., is puzzling. I reserve my deepest grief for those who had tragic ends after a hard life. Yes, John, you're right, but the esteem in which the man was held by the British people, you, you kind of had to get a sense of it. You kind of had to be there, as I was myself in, in, in the 70s, to see, and the outpouring, if you listen to British radio and watch British television, they, 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 they look, he was like the nation's grandfather. That's kind of how they looked upon him. A bit like, I suppose, we look on Michael D, like the nation's grandfather. I'll be slaughtered now for saying that, but I do, that's, it's kind of a comparison to me. A uh, GP is allowed to do bloods, etc., in your home, but they're not allowed to give a vaccine in your home. What's the point in that? I don't understand it. I don't actually know myself. I know that some of the vaccines, particularly the Pfizer one, has to be kept really, really cold and can only be taken out of the fridge when it's about to be used or within a couple of hours of being used. But, no, no. Yeah, there's an idea. Um, see a few tweets and whatever with regard to the, the the lifting of the five kilometer limit as of today. Uh, like, where would you go if you could get into your car or get on a bus or where where would you go today? You headed off somewhere. Like, like I said, Casey headed out the door. I'm going to Barney Cove for vegetations. Where would I go? Um. Where would I really love to go right now? 
if I can get into my car and, and, and go there? Um, I think maybe Gary Vaux or, or one of those places. Or, or maybe just, just a spin down to West Cork. Baltimore, actually. There you go. Baltimore. I'd love to go down to Baltimore and sit down there on the pier. Is there anywhere that you'd like to, to head uh, today if you had an opportunity uh, to go? Martin says, I'm off to Yall to sit by the Keys Pier to eat a Doyle's snack box and a can of Coke. Heaven. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. 1850-715-996. Could your car insurance be about to come down a little bit, at least? I must have that annual argument with a uh, car insurer over the next couple of weeks. Got the letter in the door. Going to try and have to knock a couple of quid off it because it's ridiculous because I've been there for ages as a client. We've been through all of that. But could your insurance premium start to come down a bit? It looks like they could. Uh, Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. Charlie, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Why are they likely to come down? And if so, by how much? Well, there's some good questions. Yeah, last month, the uh, judges of this country voted in a landmark move to issue guidelines on the payouts for, for injuries. Uh, and the guidelines are about 50% less than, than was, that is, is there already. Uh, so this is quite radical in itself. Now, a lot of business groups are disappointed. They wanted more. But 50% was, was the judges going a long way on this. They, they essentially are saying, look, at, you know, for payouts, here's what you'll be paid for a whiplash injury. Here, you know. And this, those whiplash minor injuries make up the vast majority of motor claims. Uh, you know, claims are, they, they're responsible for about 42% of the cost of, uh, of, of, um, of insurance. So it's, it's hugely significant that, that, that they were going to cut these. So the judges did that. And the, the, initially the insurers were asked, well, what are you going to do here? Are you going to pass this on to the motorists? And the initial reaction was they poured cold water on that and they held back a bit. But it, it seems now as if they're, they're taking it through. They're coming around to the view that they, they will pass on reductions to uh, motorists. The Minister for uh, Responsibility for Insurance, Sean Fleming, has been engaged in intensive meetings with all the insurers and the indications he's getting back is this these reductions will be passed on. He can't make them do it, though, can he? He can't make them. No, we have a free market. Uh, Neither the government nor the centre bank can make them do it. Mind you, the centre bank could come down a bit heavier on them and make sure that they're not ripping off people. You know, they could examine their books a bit, but they don't tend to do that. But he can't make them, no. Um, But, I mean, it'll be hard for them to wriggle out of it now. If if all of a sudden what they've got to pay out is far less, they Mm. need to pass that on. We're talking here, you know, if... If, 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 as I say, it's, you know, damages account for about 42% of motor premiums, you know, if, if those damages are reduced, you know, the, the payouts are reduced by half. So, you know, half of 42 is about 20%. So we should be seeing, we should be seeing, I'm not saying we will see this, but we should be seeing a 20% reduction in our premiums. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, when you get the old uh, renewal notice, that, that won't be reflected. You would probably still need to go, go and do a bit of digging and a bit of work yeah. because the renewal notices are always a try-on. But, you know, we should see uh, a reduction. It won't be even either. It won't be 20% probably because they're, they're not going to be that generous. Mm-hmm. And it won't be even because some of them have different costs and, and, and they're involved in different types of insurance. And this should be reflected in business insurance as well as motor insurance. But, but, but it, is wor- it is worth ringing them up 
to, to have a row. F- f- for example, Charlie, and just I, I suppose my my case might reflect others. I'm I've got a, a renewal due next month. You know, you get the breakdown for what's this on, what's that on, what's the other one. And I'm not, I can't argue with most of those. What I can, the, the, the top actual premium for what is our little one litre sort of runaround bus, it looks a bit extortionate. Is it worth to fight with them? Oh, yeah, and you don't have to fight with them. I mean, you know, I mean, definitely ring up your, your insurer or your broker and, and, and challenge the renewal you've been given. And if you're not happy, then go, go and do your, your own bit of work. You know, make a few phone calls yourself to other insurers, other brokers. Uh, you know, or, or if you know a good broker, let them do that work for you. And, you know, the, 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 there's always a better price out there. There is a good number of motor insurers in the market. I mean, a good broker would have access to maybe... Oh, more than a dozen insurers, you know, and some of them are operating in London, some of them are based here. So you don't have to accept just what you've been sent by an insurer. They know that a huge percentage of people won't bother shopping around, won't bother seeing if they can get better value, and will just pay up. So they're, they're relying on your inertia to make profits. Okay. So you don't fall for that. You, you go and do a bit of work. You will do a better deal. And insurance in general has been coming down, according to the CSO anyway, the, 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 the costs are coming down, and the insurance industry keeps telling us that, 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 that there's, there's been a 5 6% reduction in insurance costs. So I mean, you, you, you will definitely do, do better. I mean, if you, if you have no claims, if you, you have no points, you know, if you, if you've got a clean record, you should be able to each year knock a few quid off the okay. off the premium. Don't just accept what they're what they're suggesting you should pay. Okay, Charlie, always good to talk to you, Charlie Weston from the Irish Independent, is their personal finance editor. Your insurance is likely to come down. We don't know by how much, but it's likely to come down. And if you get a, a, a renewal form and you're not happy with it, argue. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Remember, if you missed anything in our first hour this morning, we'll stick up your podcast in mid-afternoon so you can catch up. It's a lovely morning out there, a bit chilly, but a lovely morning, lovely morning to sit into the car and head off to any part of our county as we can today. There's not much open, but you can pop into a centre or a super value or whatever, grab a sandwich and can of Coke or a takeaway coffee or whatever, and travel to any particular part of our lovely, lovely county. Monica's off to Mizzenhead. Mary wants to head into her camper van with a cuppa down to Garrettstown and overlook the beach. I think, and I'm open to correction on this, and will be corrected by the executive research desk if I'm wrong, I think that if you have a place, say, in Onahinsha or in Yall or anywhere that you have a, a caravan, you can go there now and, and you can move down there now. Uh, you weren't able to go there up to yesterday evening, but you can as of today, which is another little boost. Anywhere you're headed today. 1850-715-996 Now, I'm going to play this audio and I, I'm playing it sort of because this is how a lot of people will remember her 
Uh, it's it's quite sad and quite revealing when you think about what she was probably going through in her mind uh, at the time. Her mind was in turmoil, the poor girl, for many, many different reasons. But it reminds you of this from Big Brother a number of years ago. Nikki is in the dining room. Feeling very venomous and angry. Why are you punishing me and not telling me who else is up? It's not fair. I'm not waiting. I want to know now or I want to go. I've just been out there. It's warmer in the garden than it is in here. I'm going to catch a cold. It's the last two days. Please stop being assholes. I'm too angry to talk. I want to smash someone's head in. I'm going to find it very difficult to be pleasant to it for the rest of this week, I'm afraid. She made headlines um, among those who follow Big Brother at the time for outbursts like that. And and those were some of the, the calmer ones. But buried deep behind that was mental anguish and turmoil in the form of anorexia. And Nikki Graham died over the last few days uh, of complications from anorexia. She was only 38 and she'd been struggling with it for years. Trish Scheel is a former clinical manager of the Eating Disorder Centre in Cork and currently works uh, on eating disorders in private practice. She certainly was, wasn't she, Trish? A very, very troubled young woman. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Hi. Good morning. Uh, she was. She was indeed. And uh, very sad to hear of this death at 38, uh, but very, very disturbed. And I suppose just listening to that clip there that you played, just the circus that was around her really and the use of so-called celebrity really when somebody is struggling with severe mental health issues right before her eyes. Mm. And we're all feeding on it at some level. It kind of was an indictment of of us as a if, as a society that feeds on this stuff so hungrily, but also of the production companies that just turn it out. Oh, 100%. Absolutely, yeah. And as you said quite rightly, that behind that, I mean, she was a very vulnerable young woman who was suffering enormously, suffering enormously. And uh, as I often say, or as we often say in eating disorder work, you know, people hide in plain sight. Yeah. And uh, there she was. Yeah. Very, very vulnerable. The complications that that can end one's life from an anorexia, what kind of things are they, Trish? Well, obviously, the, the physical um, the physical complications of anorexia would eventually would mean uh, heart failure, um, different organ failure over the years, depending on the every case is different. No two cases are the same, actually. But, and we don't know with Nikki Graham exactly what the cause of death is or was. Um, but certainly people suffering from anorexia, they have all sorts of physical um, ailments in their internal organs as a result of the um, the food restriction over the years and the, the uh, excessive exercise as well. Mm. And even um, hormonally and as well, um, and lack of food to the brain, obviously then, um, affects the person as well. She had suffered for, for years. She, I think, went into the first... Um, set of treatments when she was only 16 or yeah, 17. Yeah. Do do we know, Trish, and as a practitioner yourself who works with people, do we know how it starts? Are some people prone and some not? 
Yeah, there are definitely some people prone. But the bottom line is we don't know what causes eating disorders. But what we do say is that it is um, genes load the gun and environment pulls the trigger. That's the the catchphrase, really. Mm. Um, Explain that a bit. Yeah, so really it's often a person who um, has a certain predisposition. So psychological predisposition would be perfectionism. And that's one of the strongest risk uh, risk factors uh, in a person who has this really strong, self-orientated drive for perfection. So they have to work in recovery to understand that that's not realistic. Often body image dissatisfaction then with that person as well. So their body isn't good enough. So they push and push and push. Um, Maybe there's uh, an anxiety disorder there pre-existing. And we would often find with when we go into people's histories that maybe from a very, very young age, that person shows signs of anxiety. Maybe, oh, will mom come home or um, what will happen if dad goes to so-and-so? You know, un- unrealistic things, but obviously not spoken at the time or even if they are spoken, maybe, you know, not really recognised that this might go into something and understandably so. Can we spot the dangers in our young children? Well, I, I really believe that... Um, I really believe that anxiety and catching and and signs of anxiety in children would be very important. And the the schools are very well positioned, really, to catch this. And we talk a lot about having mental health programs in schools as early as we can. So education is vital because we know this condition is lethal. We know that more people die from it than any other mental health condition. We see it all the time. It's like a broken record. But it is true. More people die from this than any other mental health condition. So we need to say, how can we catch this? What can we do to provide early intervention? So understanding the signs. So anxiety being a key one. Any sign of not being happy in the body, catching that keeping not just um, glossing over it really seeing right this might be a danger sign then and addressing that and having means to address it which means we need services mm-hmm. so it'll bring us back to that but yeah they're, they're key things really Anxiety, stress, unhappiness bad days Trish, they're a normal part of everybody's life mm-hmm. so again watching 8, 9, 10 year olds at what stage would we begin to get, particularly at these difficult times to which we're going yeah. through, at what stage should you begin to get worried? Like every child is anxious about the pandemic sure. at some, it's sure. stressful yeah, to absolutely. us all, makes us all unhappy. So, yeah. so where does it become a problem? Where it becomes a problem is when people start to talk about foods, maybe maybe I shouldn't have that sweet today, or no, I don't want that cake. So change in behaviours around food would be a good sign. And you would see that in young children. Mm. Quite, you know, I'm talking eight, nine-year-olds, because they might have heard on television, they might have heard it on social media, they might have heard it from, say, a talk in the school you know, foods now that are good for you and it help you be strong. And something in that child, they latch on to that idea, oh, that food is bad. So they'll start to maybe restrict that. So that would be a good sign. Talking about their body in a derogatory way that they haven't been before, 
bringing in anything to do with exercise, food, um, talking about themselves in that way would be a big red flag. In a way they've never done before, as it were. In the way they've never done before. Because, yeah, yeah. Should we ever comment, Trish, on a child's weight? No, we should not. And I know this will lead us into this whole debate about (laughs) obesity and the I'm sorry, that's why I asked the question, because I wanted to put it to you. No, um, but absolutely no, absolutely not, no, because it's actually going to help the child who hasn't fully, uh, isn't fully developed cognitively yet to start thinking, oh, the body, there's something wrong with that now. So they are going to latch on again, potentially, potentially, depending on the child, not every child, but depending on the child, latch on to ideas that really are not they're not able to talk about and will come out in some sort of um, uh, uh, negative behaviour like that. So absolutely not, no. So we need to find another way around that and there are ways we can we can do that, absolutely. You mentioned the, the lack of services and the lack of supports that are out there and, and one big problem, and we've talked about it on this programme over the years, is what they call the dual diagnosis, where you've got anorexia going on and you've got something else going on as well. That Those poor misfortunes, they're in an awful position. Is there any improvement for them? Well, the thing is, most eating disorders, people who come with eating disorders, have a dual diagnosis. Um, if you're talking, let's say, um, maybe high anxiety, because really that is an underlying factor all the time. Um, and maybe obsessional traits. Um, it could be depression, low mood, could be suicidal ideation. So all of that. So when you treat an eating disorder, you treat all of that as well. It's all part of it. However, having said that, Often you would find, not always, but I would say, often when food gets regulated, when the person starts to eat again, their brain gets fed, their body gets fed. Um, or in the case of, say, bulimia, where they just have normal eating pattern throughout the day. It's surprising how many of those other um, co-occurring illnesses actually reduce and sometimes just go away. Mm. So lack of food and abuse, I don't want to say abuse, but lack of food to the body can cause extreme psychological problems as well. But don't, I don't want to be misread there. I'm not, absolutely not, because that's not always the case. But food is very important and regulating the food, even though this condition is not about food at all. So that's the strange paradox we have, yes. really. And we've been in that. We've talked about that before, and let's not. Yeah. We won't go there again today because of time. No. But lastly, and, and, and briefly, Trish, if we are worried about someone close to us, how do yeah. we start the conversation? Well, very gently, I suppose. Very gently, just asking how the person is feeling, checking in with them. Um, Really, you cannot you cannot control it. Obviously, if it's a child, they're under eighteen. Then, obviously, a parent must take charge there and get them to the GP. But even with the child, it's really saying you you know how are you feeling and trying to get the feeling language. That person might be numb; they might know how they're feeling. But it's still asking that and maybe having helping them have um, a feeling language. You know, introducing. Are you feeling this? Are you feeling that? Mm. But very, very, very kindly and compassionately because this person, even though it looks like they're controlling themselves, you and all around them, they're suffering so intensely. 
Mm. So our compassion for that person must be first and foremost, even though it will test us to the to the final piece of us of ourselves. You know, it's very very testing condition. I think, but com- yeah. So patience and compassion, I would say, coming right yeah. back to where we started, Trish, with the the passing yeah. of. Nikki Graham, I think when you listen back, and I don't propose to play it again, but when you listen back to the audio that I used at the start, how sick was she really? Very sick, wasn't she? Very, very, very sick, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Poor, poor kid, poor yeah. kid. All right. Yeah. Listen, always a pleasure to talk to you. Trish Shield, uh, formerly the clinical manager at the Eating Disorder Centre, now practices privately. 1850 For me, and I'm just putting it out there, this is the reason why we should never do stuff like Big Brother. That poor girl was sick on so many levels. And there she was put up there to make headlines and and sell a programme and sell advertising. It shouldn't have happened. And she's now passed away at the age of just 38. 1850 Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix weekdays from midday on Corks 96 FM bringing you all things Cork great giveaways and the biggest tunes to race you through your afternoon here from 12 on Corks 96 FM. The Opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call us now 1850 996 on Quartz 96FM Yeah, people suggesting where they're going to go today or in the next couple of days, you know yourself now that we can go anywhere in our lovely county and we have established that I was just double checking that this morning so here I am in the city or if you're in Middleton or if you're down in in, in Yall, you, well you can go all the way down to Iris right down the other end of the county. You can go any distance you want up and down the county. If you happen to live on the border with another county, you can go 20 miles or 20 kilometres into that county uh, away from your home. Kevin was asking there on Twitter uh, before I was away about, I think it's his daughter is in Limerick and he wants to visit her. Uh, Well, if she's less than 20 kilometres from where you are on the border... Kevin, or if she wants to come to the border of County Limerick, then, or get to, you know, you can go and visit her, I think. That seems to be fairly sure as of today. PJ, I'm off to Goline this afternoon for a week. Can't wait, says Eleanor. Haven't been there for months. Enjoy, enjoy. Una says greetings from Doris, not far from Goline. Doris in beautiful West Cork. The post office in Doris. I wonder, is that shop? still open. There was a little post office in Doris years ago and they had a shop with it and they used to do those ice cream sandwiches and you couldn't go through Doris without stopping for an ice cream sandwich in the post office. It was the most unusual place to ever go for an ice cream into the post office. I wonder do they still do it. But uh, Una wants to give a massive thank you to all the guards on checkpoints in West Cork these last few months. What a fabulous job they did and always with a smile on their faces and with kind words. Take a bow, all of you ladies and gents. Job well done and not a vaccine between them yet. And I will keep beating that drum. I don't care how unpopular it might be, or popular it is. I will keep beating that drum. The teachers can have their own argument. 
The teachers can have their own fight. That's entirely a matter for themselves. But I will keep beating the drum until the guards get their vaccines. But that, that, that having been said. And by the way, Rihanna, thank you for a message. Uh, Rihanna tells me, my, my lovely Baltimore, I love the place, Bushes is open for takeaway food and drink. Wow. 1850-715-996. Now, we've talked over the last number of weeks to a couple of different families who are in a terrible position because they have a young person with special needs on the spectrum, as it were, who is finishing primary school but has no secondary school in September. I spoke a couple of weeks ago with Mary Hickey. Her son, Andy, has no school to go to this September. And she's one of many, many, many children, many, many parents who have no prospect of a secondary school placement for their youngster who's on on the spectrum. And it is a disgraceful situation. We also spoke to Ashling about her daughter, Kayla, again, in the same position. Gary, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on your show. Delighted to do so. Dara is also without a place to go. He is, PJ. Um, and just to give, kind of suppose, give you a bit of background to Dara, like he's he's fourteen years of age now. Um, he's a happy, uh, contented, uh, brilliant young boy. Um, and to look at him, he's no different to every other boy that age, except when you try to communicate with Dara, you realise that he has significant difficulties, you know. Mm. Where does he go to school now? He goes to school now in St Anthony's in Ballinlock. Great. They have a great provision for, for kids on the spectrum there. They do, and we were lucky that he was able to start there um, uh, from the age of five and see his time right through there with um, absolutely superb support from his SNA um, and the support of the school and the, the kids in, in his class, all inclusive, um, really looked out for him. Um, but, like, he would never be, say, on the same academic level as them, PJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, they all moved on last year. They, they, they knew where they were going to secondary school, say, from the turn of the year, December, January. Um, Dara didn't, um, so not alone did we not know then. We don't know now a full, like, this is our second year uh, down this road, you know. Mm. Um, we'd, have, we'd have actively engaged with the, 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 the system, let's say, where the NCSE would have kind of jurisdiction um, through their network casinos, which would be special education need officers. Mm. And, like, actively engaged you now since 2017, um, always looking to say where, where do they see Dara going to school? Um, yet here we are nearly four years later and we're in limbo still. Mm. Where, where would you like him to be able to go, Gary? As a parent, you know, we all look into these things when, when the turn comes. Where would you like him to be able to go? Well, it, it, it's not even a case of like, really, PJ, because, uh, as you know, um, kids like Dara would have psychological assessments, and Dara's psychological assessment report would say he needs a special school specific to his diagnosis of autism with an intellect, a mild intellectual disability. And, like, there is only one school in Cork that caters for kids coming in at secondary school level, for, like Dara, and that would be Skulltriest uh, yeah. in Glanmire. Um, unfortunately, they are full to capacity. Um, they were full last year, they're full this year. Um, and the board of management there 
and the patron bodies, the Brothers of Charity, have made the decision that they <coughs> that that's that basically. But they're you know? full. They haven't. They they're can't. Full. They they're couldn't full. stuff another yeah. child in. Exactly. No, not, exactly. not a hope. Not a hope. And they've every square inch of space used in Skull Trace to have. They have. Well, well, that that would be for assessment. Then you know, yeah. if if the will was there from the Department of Education. Yeah. Exactly. You know. But but again, there's your boy in the same boat as Andy Hickey, in the same boat as, as Kayla, in the same boat as so many, for years waiting. Where are you going to go from here? Well, I suppose the options available to us at the moment, we, 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 like there's a lot of work going on in the background at this stage, um, PJ, so we're waiting. There's a meeting on the 22nd where there's a lot of big players at. We won't have a decision at that stage, but they'll have to indicate at that stage where we are going, you know. Um, they need to do their job and make a decision in and around that date, you know, of the 22nd of April. Like, the people at that meeting are like Josephine Madigan, Michal Martin, Michael McGrath, Norma Foley, and a local TD, or a Northside TD, um, Pargo Sullivan. Like, you, you couldn't ask for more people in one room to, to drive this on, you know? Mm. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Unfortunately, it looks like the system is broken in spite of all of these people's best efforts over the last couple of years. There's a planning and building unit that are they were either overwhelmed or they're incompetent. There's an NCSE that, like PJ, I, I really don't want to get into it on air of of the, the dealings we've or what yeah. they've put us mm-hmm. through. Um, needless to say, like we, you go to a stage where your 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 seniors are saying, "Pray for miracles." You know, these are the people who are kind of um, tasked with placement of your 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 child. But this is also the system, Gary, and I'm sure you've you've, you've thought about this. Like when when Dara went into St Anthony's at the age of five or six. Yeah. You know, the the system knew. Here was a little boy 
going in the door of a primary school in his short pants on a Monday morning. Yeah. There he was. They knew he would one day come out the other door at the other end of the school and yeah. want to go somewhere else. For his buddies, they all got their places because it was provided for them. Yeah. But no one thought of having enough places for the Daras and the Andes and the Kalas of this world. It's absolutely incredible, PJ. Like, I heard, I heard a word or phrase used last year, like educational apartheid, um, kind of in terms of the neglect of um, kids like Dara who need additional needs. Like, and that's simply what it is. It's discrimination, you know? Um, and, and it's tough to take. Um, it's a broken system, like... Um, and, like, if, if any of your listeners today kind of want to help, they could perhaps contact their local TDs just to say, why is this happening to children who have additional needs in our society? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Like, we, we have a daughter who's 17, and she's, she's in the mainstream system, and there's no problems whatsoever. Yet we have a son with additional needs, an intellectual disability, and it's been four years of chase, 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 chase. What is the plan? And there's no plan. Like... In fairness to say, Michal Martin or, or Taoiseach, like he's been engaged for the last two years with us, and yet here we are. The Taoiseach of the country can't move this system forward, and like he he has the power, you know. Mm. Um, we've Michael McGrath in charge. Of you the often court. wonder, don't you, at this stage, Gary, where the real power is, don't you? You do, you do, you do, PJ. Like, and it's really been a journey, of discovery these last couple of years for our family, you know. Um, just seeing how marginalised people in society and families are treated, like we're simply not a priority politically, despite all the rhetoric. Mm. Um, You find yourself, don't you, looking at your wonderful boy and thinking as a dad, I'm not doing the best for you. I, I want to do more for you and I can't. Yeah, yeah. And like I, I would have said to, to my wife, Alison, a few years back, like, what, what did we miss? Where did we go wrong? What, have we missed something here? Like, why are we in this situation? But we're not. There's 23 other families in the same situation for this current year. Oh we God. know there was 20 to 30 other families. That's a class. The, what's that? That's a class. That's a class. In fact, in, in, in the system in which ASD works, that's about five classes. Exactly. And, like, there are other patron bodies who are willing to take on the, the, the kids um, in our current situation. Um, and they, they, they actually have waiting lists of five years, you know? Like, you, there is other schools that will take kids like Dara, but you need to go in at five years of age and you, you see your time there till you're 18. And now they're willing to change enrollment policies and bring kids, the kids like Dara in. But they simply don't have the space at the moment. And that's where the current problem is. That's where we see the systems broken, is that the planning and building units don't seem to have the wherewithal to get the job done. Like, I saw in the examiner a couple of weeks ago where a school out in Ballancolic, Lakela, I have kids coming out of primary. There's 40 of them enrolled for next September. They're building on a GA pitch out in Ballancolic. They haven't even put in for planning yet, but the, the principal of that school was saying it's going to be a state-of-the-art temporary facility for the first year students come September mm. yet here we are and there's a meeting on the 22nd and and our politicians and our DNCSE and the planning and building unit of the Department of Education can't come to a decision and you see they know you mentioned the Kayla a good school they can do that 
because they know that down the road they will get what they need. Exactly. So they can put a yeah. temporary facility in place. Again, with, with, with Dara and Andy and others, not the case. Why, PJ? I know, why, why God Almighty, I know that, mate. I know that. Yeah. Why? Why indeed? Why indeed? You know, so, like, in my discussion with you today, like, we, we just need, if I could get anything across to people listening who, who have the power, is we need a decision. Simply, it, it's gone on too long. Um, there's, there's those other 22 or 3 families there now who, who are facing into this Section 29 process. We were there last year. I wouldn't wish it on any family mm. it's an adversarial Br- process briefly just explain for people what that is yeah so basically you have to the school where you want your child to to, to go and he couldn't get into you have to initiate a thing called a section 29 where you actually have to go through the school's enrollment policy and pick holes in it as best you can um so then you that culminates in a, a mediation um you actually go through a mediation which is another farce um, culminates in a meeting with three um, Department of Education um, reps, the two reps from the Board of Management of the school and the family, and you have an argument, basically. And that's the school where you want your child to go, and you're arguing with the principal and the, 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 you know, the human resource. Yeah, should um, never, no, you should never have to. You should never have to go with that. You should never have to put yourself into that situation. And and it's an awful situation for schools to be in as well, where they have to tell people, we just don't have the space. Exactly. Yeah. And like they have to go through 23 individual meetings now this year for the, for all the kids. Like one no, of, Knowing full well that there's there's nothing to offer them. There's nothing to offer them. No, and it, but, but, it is a, but it is a kind of a step you have to go through if you need to go the legal route, you know? How is the man himself dealing with all of this, finally? Yeah, for, yeah so look, he's oblivious to it all, PJ, um, which we're kind of thankful in a way for, you know? Mm. Um, he's a happy camper. He goes about his business there, pottering around the house. Um, so look, we're lucky enough from that point of view, but it shouldn't be this way. We should be able to put Darren into an environment in secondary school that where he can thrive and you know maximise his potential, get ready for kind of you know um, being a member of our society in some some way, shape, or form. Yeah. But unfortunately, we're having to go through all this. Um, coming onto radio stations, going to newspapers. Contacting politicians, contacting councillors—it's—it's—it's it's, it's for, for what is one of his most basic rights as a child. Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. Leave it there, uh, Gary, and I wish you well with it. Uh, and that's not a—that—that's not a a platitude. I—I I honestly do, um, as I do with young Andy, and I do with Kayla, and I do with any one of the other twenty-three kids. Do you know the 2nd of April was World Autism Day and the whole month of April is World Autism Month and Michal Martin put a video up on social media marking World Autism Day. And look, they were kind words and well chosen and all of this. But the comments that went under it were very valid. What are you doing, Tishuk, for these 23 children? What are you doing for them? Nice words, don't butter parsnips. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. There's only two days left to enjoy the nine rehearsed readings in Made in Cork Play It By Ear. Finishing on Wednesday night, there's still time to listen to plays by Connell Creedon, Jerry Fitzgibbon, Liam Halen, Kate Holly, Irene Kelleher, John McCarty, James McKeown and Patrick Talbot. You'll find more details at everymancork.com. Access all areas. Europe's number one tribute to the Beastie Boys, Beastie Coys, comes to Cypress Avenue in September to put on the ultimate Beastie Boys experience. The show takes place on Thursday, September 23rd and tickets are available now from cypressavenue.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Loads of people have been trying new hobbies during lockdown. One of them being, I think, photography. We all have a good camera in our hands right now in our digital phone, our smartphone. The quality of camera in mobile phones has gone through the roof over the last couple of years. We all have a good camera in our hands. But, of course, having a good camera in your hands and being able to use it properly are two very different things. Hillary, good morning. This is Hillary Sheehan. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, there you are. A fairly accomplished photographer in your own right. Would you call yourself amateur or professional, Hillary? I would call myself amateur. Um, For me, it's a hobby and um, I'm a web designer by trade. So I kind of keep the photography then as a more enjoyable thing that I don't need to worry about, you know, making money off it or anything like that. So it's purely just an enjoyable, um, lifelong hobby, I would say. Yeah, we all have, as I said there, we all have a very good camera in, in our back pocket right now. But having a good camera and being able to take good photograph are two different things. That's true. Um, I think that, you know, over the years of doing photography, I've been in a lot of camera clubs and I've met so many different photographers. Um, I think some photographers can get caught up with the equipment um, and, and not concentrating enough on actually how to take a photo. Um, personally speaking, my first camera was a compact camera mm. and it wasn't until I exhausted every single manual setting that I could go into in that camera that I then would upgrade to um, a DSLR or now um, there are brilliant smaller cameras um, similar to kind of the rangefinders of the past where they have no mirror in the camera um, and they're more a budget-friendly option um, but you get all the quality of a DSLR, you can get interchangeable lenses Um But I do think, like, for someone starting off, you know, all that kind of stuff can be very overwhelming. And at its heart, it's just taking a nice photo. That's all. Um, You can use anything around you to do it. Um, Even this week, I was thinking about getting back into film photography myself. Um, I'm after buying a toy camera. It's a plastic camera with a medium format film inside it. Yeah. Um, Can you still actually get rolls of film and... Yeah, wow. you can still get, um, I like medium format film, it's actually got um, a paper back on it, um, you get less frames with it, but because it has a paper back, you can open the back of it and it won't be exposed to light, right. so I just like it for the practicality of that. Um, these were the ones, that, were these the ones that came in the little bottles, or the little jar? 
Are they those yeah. ones? Yeah. They well, they they kind of would have been, and you have to have a spool inside your camera already to That's kind right. of spread it on, and it's a bit wider looking than the thirty five mil film yeah. that you'd be more familiar with. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But even PJ, to, like even talking about you know money and equipment and everything to do with photography. Photography, you can use your phone for it. You can use a beer can uh-huh. for photography. Um, I was researching uh, pinhole cameras. They're called. Um, all you have to do is buy light sensitive paper. Nice. Um, and I was looking this up actually on YouTube because the camera I have arriving hopefully this week can also be used as a, a pinhole camera. It means that you don't even need a lens to take a photo. All you need is light sensitive paper, a hole in whatever item the light sensitive paper is in, and the hole will actually act as your shutter. Um, so you can just put a bit of tape over the hole and you can take the tape off the hole to expose the paper and then you put the tape back on. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. And there was yeah. a woman, actually, I found a video on YouTube. Um, she was after hanging beer cans all around her home outdoors. She put the light-sensitive paper on the other side of the beer can, poked a hole on the other side um, and left that exposed to get a kind of a nighttime exposure of the stars moving across the sky um, using that method. So it's it's an incredible hobby and you can go so many. You can use your phone. You can use a beer can. Um, you know, like it's, you can use anything at all. Yeah, yeah. You've been encouraging people to take it up um, to pass the time. Definitely. Um, I was actually, before lockdown and stuff, there's a brilliant camera group in Cork that I would recommend for people to keep an eye on for whenever it's safe to go back out. Um, it's called Rebel Street Photography Group and you'd find them on Facebook. Um They've been a great group. They used to meet up every fortnight, so we'd meet up outside the old oak and then from half one to half three walk around town as a group mm. um, and actually take photos of, you know, the buskers performing or if there was like a parade in court or something, we might change the time to suit the parade and go down and you actually get to meet other photographers that way as well. Mm. Um, again, what? when you go to a group like that, people are shooting with all different kinds of things. Yeah. One week I brought my phone to photograph with. Um, there's people shooting on film. There's people with, you know, m- huge equipment with, you know, maybe multiple um, DSLRs, multiple lenses, and they're changing all the lenses. Mm. So whatever level you're at, you know, photography is something that it's for everybody. What makes a great photo, Hilary? Is it the angle? Is it the subject? Is it the moment? Is it just that way of looking at it that only a camera will find? What is it? Well, there was a very famous photographer, um, Henri Cartier-Bresson, who talked about the decisive moment. Um, And I kind of do tend to go along with that, especially if you're into street photography, um, that there is is a moment. So he had a kind of a famous photo of um, just someone stepping over a puddle. But for one moment, maybe uh, both legs are off the ground for like a millisecond. And if you can just snap and get that that one moment that you're lucky enough to get... um, I do think there's something in that. Um, Definitely if you're doing portraits, you know, just being able to connect with people and putting people at their ease, you know, um, or if they're unaware you're taking the photo that, you know, um, it's a kind of an authentic, genuine photo that people can relate to. Um, Mm. Again, like a lot of people are photographing, you know, their own children. Yes, or their pets. I mean, I've seen some of the best, like world-class, um, portraits come out of that style of photography which is just maybe a mum and dad at home and one of them have gotten a bit into photography 
and they're taking photos of their kids and they're absolutely beautiful photos as well. Yeah. Um, Some of them know, happen so, by accident. Yeah. yeah. Best best picture ever taken of my son was taken by my daughter and she was just fiddling around with the camera. And she like they were, they were only about nine at the time, maybe ten at the most, and she had no idea how to use the camera, but she was playing with it. Yeah. And she just snapped this incredible photograph of her brother in, in, in just in a moment. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, you know, because he knew her, and even though she was messing and she mightn't have been serious at the time or whatever, but he was probably relaxed around her. Yeah. Um, and that would have all played into the photo. And then there are rules of composition, but, you know, rules are there to be broken as well. Um, there is the rule of thirds and all this stuff, but, I mean, sometimes you might actually break those rules in order to kind of have more drama in your photo as well. Yeah. So yeah, A good photo anyway. It's, it, it's what's perceived by the eye that's looking at it too. So that group is the Rebel Street Photography Group, Hilary. Rebel Street Photography, and I would ask people as well, um, the bigger picture um, in Cork City are developing film. Um, you can um, find them on Facebook, the bigger picture, um you can drop film actually into their post box and they are, during lockdown, that's how they are continuing to process film for people, for anyone that is into that or wants to get into it. Excellent. Um, and I would also encourage people to use um, O'Leary's Camera Shop on uh, Camera World on Olive Plunkett Street. Um, I've been kind of worried about them because they've been closed down for so long and camera shops are a bit of a dying breed. Yes. Um, and I just think it would be so important to keep them open because especially if you're starting out in photography, don't don't go online and buy something. Go into whenever it's possible to do it. Go into the yeah. shop. The lads will actually show you the cameras. You can pick them up. Um, myself, I had in my mind a different camera when I was walking into the shop. And when I picked up the camera I thought I wanted, it was too big, too bulky. Um, the screen didn't flip out the way I wanted it to. And I actually ended up getting a much better camera for me because yeah. the lads were able to advise me, you know, that I, I wanted something uh, small. I wanted the screen to be able to move and all this stuff. And they knew exactly. Nothing, um, nothing better than the local business, as it were. Yeah, to please rem- remember them whenever um, the shops are able to open again. Oh, the lads have just found that photograph here from me by Henri Cartier-Bresson. Wow, there's a puddle. Exactly. That's extraordinary. That's yeah, that's the decisive moment. Yeah, yeah. That's extraordinary. All right, Hillary, great to talk to you. Thanks very much. That's Hillary Sheen, uh, 1850-715-996. We, we might do it for the crack um, once we get to restrictions eased a bit. We might get you to send in your own photos to us here and we'll just have a, a little exhibition, no prizes, no nothing, of, of our listeners' photos. Now, there's an idea. We'll discuss it after the programme. After raising an idea now, which means they'll go, oh, what's he talking about? We'll just get your photographs in of coming out of 5K. Let's let's pick a theme and come out of 5K. So the first photo, first nice photo you take when you come out of 5K. That'd be a nice idea, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Campaign has started to save the old bottling plant at Irish distillers out there at the end of the the North Mall. Now the place is fairly decrepit and and tumbling down, um, but a group still want to save it. Connor English is one of them. Why, Connor? Good morning to you. Morning. Why do you want to save it? It's it's falling down. It's an eyesore. Well, now. I suppose um, the architectural I suppose, value of this building goes beyond its specific look or its design or its materials. You know, um, it's a cohesive approach to revitalizing 
existing buildings is infinitely more sustainable than scrapping unique pieces of Irish design. Mm. Um, and, it's, and it is unique, especially to Cork. Mm. Um, you know, the, um, this building was completed in 1964 um, by the, um, the noted Cork architect, Frank Murphy. And uh, it, it has a wealth of design and eccentric materials with visual details which are, which are unique and unusual and utilitarian in a utilitarian building found in Cork City. Yeah. Well, you know, no, it, it is date was a smasher. I mean, and even parking mm. next to it, as you would do sometimes these days, you can see in, in its past mm. life would have been a, a, yeah. a lovely yeah. building. The yeah. plan is to develop it, isn't it, as part of the Tyndall Institute? So, yes. Yeah, so, University College Cork have uh, put up a site notice intending to put an application um, to the council to demolish um, uh, the bottling plant for a new um, extension to the, ten- to the Tyndall. And so in reaction to that, um, a, a petition has been started by a number of citizens, architects and graduates and yeah. students in UCC who are alarmed at the proposed destruction of this yeah. unique heritage. Probably um, preserving it, and I'm just putting this out there, might, might well, preserving it cost more than actually demolishing and rebuilding it because of current engineering standards, as it were? Well, you know, I, I am all for progress, you know, and UCC and the Tintle Institute is a much-needed development, but I do think plants could be adapted or reused in design with a little bit of imagination. You know, I, I don't think buildings should be frozen in aspects. You know, we need to adapt buildings. You can't leave them derelict, or the buildings need to adapt to their needs adapt. But, you know, we need to protect our heritage. We have so much history and it's being demolished. You know, the building needs TLC, you know, not knocked down. And UCC have engaged one of the country's most innovative firm of architects who can easily um, uh, use their imagination to use this structure. Okay, so just reshape it and but keep mm. keep it, put whatever you want inside in it, I think what you're saying, but keep the original building. And that petition is on change.org to save the Cork Distillers bottling plant. Uh, Connor English, who's an architect himself. Thank you very much for being with us on The Opinion Line, Connor. Thank you. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. And if you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, you'll pick it up on our podcast uh, this afternoon. The weather forecast for the week looks all right, you know. Nothing to write home about. It's certainly not going to get any way significantly warmer. It's been way too cold for spring the last four or five days after Easter weekend was gorgeous. But like tomorrow now, 13 degrees, bit of sunshine. Wednesday, 12 degrees, bit of sunshine. Thursday, 11. Friday, 12. Nothing significant in terms of warm spring sunshine just yet. But what's that old saying about April? That it comes in like a lion and out like a lamb. We can only hope. And I was looking at old patterns as well over the last few days of weather. And back in 2013, well, you remember, we had a scorcher Rooney uh, here in the summertime. We also had quite a cold and uh, unpleasant start to April. So just, you know, just put it out there. You never know. Things, These things run in cycles. Getting back to some of your comments, one in particular on the places, the availability or rather non-availability of places for children with additional needs in secondary school. Our daughter 
has a moderate intellectual disability, this from Deirdre. She's travelling 70 minutes by taxi every day from North Cork to West Cork because we couldn't get her into a school within the community. We only found out in the May, just weeks before she was due to start secondary school, that there was no place for her in the school we wanted her to attend. We had three weeks to find a fix. It's discrimination, as that man said. Why doesn't every secondary school just have a unit, a classroom with a teacher who can support kids like my daughter and like that man's son? Well, a couple of years ago, to his due credit, Richard Bruton, when he was Minister for Education, put that out there, that it should be available in every school. But the schools still have the ability to refuse, or they're still able to refuse, which is just not good enough. Not good enough at all. So you have loads of kids like Dara, like Andy, like Kayla, like 23 kids we hear. 23 kids currently in that situation where they went in the door of their primary school when they were little uns in their short pants and their little shoes. They went off in with their little hopes and dreams, come out at the end of sixth class and there is nothing for them. Nothing for them. And it is a disgraceful indictment of an educational system that your whole cohort of kids a whole cohort of kids every year, not just this year, every year, with nowhere to go. And parents losing sleep over where they're going to send their kids. Sorry, it is very personal. We've been there. It was tough when we had to do it. It's even tougher now for people. And the fact that it's not gone away, in fact, it's getting worse. It just makes me very angry and grinds my gears very hard. 1850 You might remember a week or two ago, and we'll catch up with him again maybe in the next few days. I spoke with Dr. John Campbell. He's a professor of nursing. He's a nursing tutor in the UK and he's set up a YouTube channel of daily talks, daily videos about the various parts of the COVID-19 debate. And he stays away from nothing. He talks about the disease. He talks about the symptoms. He talks about possible cures, possible treatments, vaccines, ivermectin, vitamin D. He talks about everything it has done for the last 12 months. And last week, we here in Ireland got very honourable mention on... Dr. Campbell's daily talk. I'll just play a snatch of it. I, I was I, I, I watch him practically every day, and I was very pleasantly surprised to hear this. Now, there's been a report from the the Irish Parliament on vitamin D, and it's a very thorough report. And I'm really pleased to see it. I really welcome it because it's in agreement with a lot of the research that we have been discussing for over a year now on this channel. And I particularly like it because it's completely accessible. It's not written in jargonese. Uh, I wish all processes were as clear and open as this in international health. Now, let's get straight down to the detail. The committee heard evidence that vitamin D deficiency is prevalent across the population. This is of Ireland. And report recommendations that public health measures are established to address that deficiency. These public health measures are preventative in nature and are recommended to reduce the risk of respiratory and other illnesses. A very, very significant report from that committee. A member of the committee, uh, Deputy Colin Burke, has also written a letter in the Echo today that the Department of Health must now develop a strategy to increase the knowledge and encourage use of vitamin D to protect the population in the context of COVID-19 and other illnesses. Vitamin D is known 
to assist the immune system in fighting harmful, harmful bacteria and viruses and particularly known to deal with and to help us fight things like uh, COVID-19. Dr. John Fall is a consultant at the Bon Secours in Dublin, consultant in respiratory and sleep medicine. John, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Thanks for, uh, and ta- thank you for that introduction. Thank you for taking uh, our yeah. call. It, it, vitamin D is important in dealing with this damn pandemic, isn't it? Well, this is the interesting thing. This whole pandemic, as you know, is new. So before 2020, we really didn't know anything about this. We've been researching vitamin D for a long time, in, particularly in asthma, respiratory health, respiratory diseases. It is a, apparently now important for COPD, people with chronic bronchitis, and we've known for many years that obviously people who go on sunny holidays, particularly in wintertime, do a lot better from a respiratory health point of view. And that's been proven in the data. Um, so uh, we were, we've been looking at this for years. We were appalled to find basically Patrick's Day last year that we had a bunch of people coming into the intensive care unit, all with profoundly low vitamin D levels. And we published that at the time in the Irish Medical Journal, showing that if you had very, very low vitamin D levels, and I'm talking about less than 30 so these are people who are indoors all the time, which unfortunately during the pandemic and the lockdown, we are now indoors all the time. And if you don't have your sunny holidays, and if you don't take vitamin D supplements, and if you don't eat a lot of fish, uh, and I know a lot of people do eat a lot of fish, but a lot of people don't eat a lot of fish, then you, you, you will be uh, vitamin D deficient. And these people had levels of less than 30. The normal level we would say for humans should be about 100. We would say if you're less than 50, you would be deficient. Right. And as you said in your introduction, uh, it, it is highly prevalent in, in, in the population. It's actually 46, not 426, but 46. Almost 50% of the population, of the adult population, are deficient. That's incredible. But these four people that came in very deficient uh, ended up in the ICU. And we, we could actually see a, a, a relationship between those things. People mm-hmm. with lower vitamin D levels in the early days at the very start of the pandemic we knew they were going to get bad covid and sure enough they did a lot of them unfortunately went to the intensive care units and as you know that ruins their lives many of them died and it's absolutely horrible what's gone on so this seems to be a peculiar thing for covid that Mm. vitamin d seems to be really indicating that there's a problem there if you're deficient Mm. john what does it do in the body we we, we know it's impossible for the body to make it has to get it from an outside source and very difficult to store it as well but what does it do when it's in our system so vitamin d is strange it's a unique thing in that it's a vitamin but it's also a hormone so it's classified as a steroid hormone and and vitamin d circulates in your body as what they call 25 hydroxy vitamin d which as you say either comes from sunlight and it's interesting that Sunlight, ultraviolet radiation specifically, ultraviolet radiation type B specifically, has a chemical reaction with uh, a a type of cholesterol in your bloodstream uh, that converts it to vitamin D. So you do actually need ultraviolet light, which Mm. you're not going to get if it's it's cloudy. This is why they call it the sunshine vitamin. The sunshine vitamin. So it's a unique substance in the body. Unlike all the other vitamins, you can get it from just sunshine, which is amazing. Mm. But you can't get it if you're more than 37 degrees latitude in the wintertime. And as you know, in Ireland, we're between 50 and 60 degrees yeah. latitude. The angle so of the sun really is very important. In, yeah. in, in a more uh, simplistic uh, way, John, isn't it that reaction in your body when you've been in the sunshine? It is that lovely well sense of well-being that you get. That's vitamin D being synthesized. It partly is, and it's partly light. So yeah. light is very, uh, it, it does a lot to your brain and does a lot on your skin. 
Light also creates melatonin in your skin, and that's why people sleep much better on sunny holidays, because you actually get more melatonin production in your skin. We know that sunlight also produces nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator in your skin, which helps blood pressure and helps your circulation. So, so it, it is complicated. Yeah. Sunlight does a lot of things. But we know specifically ultraviolet B will give you vitamin D. Yeah. Vitamin D then attaches to vitamin D receptors, which go into your, into your nucleus of your cells, and they activate things called VDRE, which sounds like a made-up term, but it's a vitamin D response element that sounds almost made up, but that's what it's really called. Mm-hmm. And that activates a variety of genes. And we think about 3% of all the genes that are activated in the body are controlled by vitamin D. So it's quite a lot. Oh. Not just bones, but muscle and, as you say, immune cells. And, all and, immune and cells is it that it, it affects... Yeah. The infl- in terms of COVID specifically, is it that it can reduce inflammation in the system? We think it's both things. We think that it, people are less likely to become infected, and it seems to be that vitamin D stops the spike protein of the coronavirus mm. when infecting cells. And if you are infected, it stops the inflammatory response that occurs. So the inflammatory response uh, leads to a lot of breakdown of cells in your body, and vitamin D is an essential component to actually clear up, if you like, the mess that's been left behind. So it, it's anti-inflammatory and it's pro-regulatory. But the, the, that sort of technical terms are saying that it stops the swelling, but it also helps the repair in your body. And that's been shown in a variety of basically mainly animal studies. Obviously, you can't do these kind of studies in humans. Uh, but our main focus on this entire uh, presentation to the, to the Oroctus, and I must say, our elected officials have been good in this respect, and they've really been aggressive about trying to promote the idea of vitamin D and vitamin D deficiency, is even though it, that there's studies going on trying to work out, is it therapeutic, it's much more likely to be effective as preventive therapy. In other words, by the time you get overwhelming sepsis and inflammatory responses from covid it's unlikely the vitamin D alone is going to pull you back from yeah. that. Okay, yeah. That's a lethal situation you're in. That's a bit like putting your seatbelt on after you've crashed the yeah. car. But if, okay? if, it's, if it's in your so, system and... and in, if it's and in your system already, you do better. There's overwhelming evidence for that. It'll cut your rate of infection by about 80%. Wow. Uh, and it stops you having a severe infection by, uh, by twofold at least. Crazy. In our studies that we did, uh, people were three times more likely to end up on a ventilator in the ICU if they're vitamin D deficient. That was profoundly deficient for the less than 30. So that's a big effect in something that would be very easily reversible. And I guess our anxiety right now has been that nobody's been going on sunny holidays, as you well know. Very few people are going outdoors. And you're talking about, as you say, the kids going off to school in their short pants. And nowadays you see kids and they're not really in short pants as much as they used to be in the good old days. So just sunshine on your body, particularly in summertime, will help you. So being outdoors is a good idea. Uh, and being exposed to sunlight is a good idea. Unfortunately, in winter, there is not enough. Yes. And we're encouraging people to take supplements. Some people think super milk and so on is enough. It's not enough. We think you need a 1,000 units a day. Okay? That would be the equivalent of drink, drinking quite a lot of super milk, six bowls of cereal. It is in the cereals. Yeah. It is in fish. Uh, wild salmon, for instance, 100 grams of it, you could get about 700 units. So if you had two portions of wild salmon, or let's say eight portions of farm salmon, you might have enough in the day. That's a lot of salmon. Enough, That's an yes, awful lot exactly. of salmon. You need to use an awful lot of fish, like the Celts in the old days. They had an awful lot of fish, and they're outdoors all the time. 
they were able to survive. Now, the good you news probably, is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. the yeah. good news is, of course, that you don't have to eat mounds of salmon and bowls and bowls of cereal because there are many supplements out there and it is not expensive at all. Exactly. And, and in fact, the pharmacies in Ireland have been great at this. They've been ahead of us in ways because all of the, the health food shops that you go into and the pharmacies that you go into uh, actually have it on display and have large stocks of this. So it's amazing. You can uh, get 1,000, 2,000, 4,000 capsules and so on. It, now, it, it, it does turn out that if you're obese, you need more vitamin D because vitamin D is fat-soluble. Mm. So obese patients probably need to take more. People with darker skin, and, pe- and we know that people with darker skin are, are less able to absorb it from sunlight. So all across the world, people with darker skin have lower vitamin D levels than people with whiter skin. So if you have darker skin, you should, we think you should take much more supplementation, maybe double your supplementation. So it could be 2,000 units if you're darker skin or yeah. 2,000 units if you're obese and so on. In terms of buying the units or yeah, calculating the units, you say 1,000 we should all have in a, per a day. Now, the thing is there are two ways of, of saying how much is in this supplement. They use the 1,000 yeah. international units, but they also use 25 or 50 micrograms. So if, exactly. I, if I pick, it's a little MG. So if, I, if yeah. I pick up a bottle and it's got 25, 50 on it, how many should I yeah. be taking? Yeah, so one of those, one or, or two. So the, the calculation is 40. So it's 40 to one. So 25 micrograms, that looks like a little U with a little extra little thing mm. on it. Uh, if you multiply that by 40, it's 1,000. Uh, if you look at the, the, pa- the food packages, they'll often describe it as four micrograms or maybe 10 micrograms in a certain food, like a cereal or a milk and so on. So you'd multiply that by 40. So 10 micrograms would be 400 units, right. which we would say would not be enough. So 25 micrograms or 1,000 units, we would say would be what people should take. And as you know, people don't would often forget on a day and so on. So, so that's why we sort of say, if you can take an extra one, take an extra one. Okay, okay. Um, it's not something you're going to overdose on or anything, I, I imagine. Although we've had a, a call on the phone here, which says, Dr. John, caller had a blood test and was told his vitamin D was too high. How, how could that happen? Yeah, so that's either... Now, there is a thing called hypervitaminosis. Sorry, I'll go back to how much you should take. Mm. So we would say, and it's all the authorities across Europe would say, uh, that up to 4,000 units a day would be safe to take all the time. Right. That's the first thing. So sometimes you'll, take, you'll see 4,000 capsules, 4,000 unit capsules. They're okay to take. Uh, obviously, every, you can overdose on anything. If you, drank, if you ate an entire uh, you know, box of this stuff, that would be an overdose. Uh, similar to if you drank 10 liters of water, that would make you very sick. Mm. That would be a problem. Now, there is a thing called hypervitaminosis D. Now, we talked about that, you can, that it's made by ultraviolet light. There are abnormal conditions in your body, and the classic ones are sarcoidosis, Hodgkin's disease, and there are other rare granulomatous disorders. These are inflammatory conditions where the body itself, for some bizarre reason, would start to manufacture more and more vitamin D. Mm. Uh, the classic one in this country is sarcoidosis, which is a common inflammatory condition. And we used to measure vitamin D levels and calcium levels in those people kind of carefully. So people with those conditions, and they usually know who they are because they're, they're, they're going to their doctor with these, they will have high vitamin D levels, and that is usually not treated by staying out of the sun. It's treated by actual anti-inflammatory therapy. So we would give people, for instance, steroids for sarcoidosis, or you would be treated for Hodgkin's disease with, with the normal drugs for, for Hodgkin's disease. 
rather than you know stay away from fish. Mm. Uh, that that's that's not the, how you treat it. So hypervitaminosis D, where your vitamin level level is is high, is either you've had an awful lot of sunlight and you've been taking supplements, uh, or you have one of those inflammatory conditions mm. that often has to be looked at. Yeah. We would see nobody nobody level over eighty. Uh, now that might have been marked as high as being over one hundred and twenty five. Uh, but we would see nobody over 80 who isn't taking supplements right. in our experience. Right. Um, is it okay to get it through multivitamin tablets or should you take a special one, says another call? Yes, that, that's, that's a really good question. It is in the multivitamins. And if you look up the multivitamins, you'll see this slightly more depending on the multivitamin you're taking. Some of the multivitamins designed for older people, we know that older people don't absorb vitamin D as well as younger people. So the older vitamin, the vitamins for, you know, these like Centrum Silver, that type of thing, have slightly more vitamin content than the regular ones. But if you look at it, it's not going to be a thousand units. Mm. It's not going to be enough. They're assuming in that that you're getting good sunlight, which unfortunately we're not, uh, and that you have a diet that's rich in vitamin D, which most people, that's not the case. Mm. So we really should be trying to get into us by capsule form, if possible, or tablet form, a thousand a day. Um, is it, are there are sprays available too, are there? Are there any good? There's, yeah, exactly. There are sprays available for people who don't like to take the capsules. Uh, and that's, that's a fantastically convenient way of taking it. And the point is, what, what's, what's tough for us is, so with St. Patrick's Day last year, we basically had a, a flood of people coming into the intensive care unit. We had never seen these people before, so it wasn't like they were our regular patients. And I'm sure you've, you've, your listeners know this. People who've never, ever been sick have suddenly come down with COVID and yeah. bad COVID. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to be unstoppable. And the awful thing for us was we're looking at these people with very low vitamin D levels. Roll around at the end of December, the exact same thing happened again. Wow. So again, people came in with profoundly low vitamin D levels. And what we're hopeful for is that the general population out there can improve their vitamin D levels by taking supplements. So that, God forbid, and it can happen to any of us at any time, if you do contact COVID or come in contact with it, first, if your vitamin D levels are high, you'll be less likely to become infected. And secondly, if you do become infected, that it'll be a mild version of the disease. Because the severe version of the disease is absolutely awful. And it is destroying people's lives and it's killing people, as you know. And I think we all know people who've died, you know, near and dear loved ones who've died from COVID and it's devastating. Dr. John, this this is spectacular science and and something so easily accessible and relatively cheap could actually prevent us getting sick. It's wonderful science. Well, well, it is, but it's, and it's also been proven. Finland has done a terrific job of this. So Finland have taken public health very seriously in terms of nutritional supplements. They doubled the nutritional supplements in 2003 and then doubled them again in 2012. And they have very high levels of vitamin D. So they're, they're the, the rates of deficiency there are the other 20%, whereas here it's about 60% of people are deficient. And, and you'll notice from the statistics that they have the lowest rate of infection in, in Europe, and by far the lowest mortality rates. Now, in fairness, Finland have some social distancing things. They tend to be very shy people. They live apart from each other and so on. Uh, but they similarly have low levels of sunlight, but they have high levels of vitamin D. And that, that really sticks okay. out as a, prob- as a problem that they've solved. 
this, this is one thing to put on all of our shopping lists and talk to our pharmacists about and talk to uh, wherever we can get it into our systems. Thank you very much, Dr. John Fall from the Bon Secours Hospital in Dublin. He's a consultant in respiratory and sleep medicine. Vitamin D, 1,000 or 25. They come in two measures. You'll see 25 with the little MG or the micro G next to it. That's You need one of those at least per day. That's 1,000. Uh, ideally two, 2,000. You can take up to four quite safely. Um, Morris wants to know, is 1,000 uh, per day suitable for a 15.5 stone man? It probably is, Morris, but it wouldn't hurt you to take two. It wouldn't hurt you to take two at all. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Elon Musk's girlfriend, Grimes, Mm -hmm. and the mother of his child, uh, has revealed where she wants to live out the rest of her days and where she wants to to die. Okay. Yeah. It begins with M. Mullingar. No, no, uh, slightly less desolate. Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at NoDC.com. Cork's 96FM. Last year, a doctor was on your programme promoting vitamin D against COVID. She recommended a daily dose, and since then I've been taking a thousand every day. And that was Dr. Roseanne Kenny, who was on the show here last year. She was brilliant about that and really enthusiastic about it and told us just, just as the fella said, horse it into you, uh, the, 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 the vitamin D every day. Kim, hi PJ, welcome back. I'm from South Africa. In my first year here, I was feeling weak with no energy. Turned out I was severely lacking in vitamin D. Can't tell you how much better I felt since I started taking it all the time. My doctor thinks that as I'm from a very sunny country, I was getting enough natural vit D but since living in Ireland, I don't get enough naturally from the sun and I have to supplement it. Thanks, Kim. Tom says the brand of vitamin D I get is called the sun in. A Corkman invented it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get the sun in. I get it, Tom. I get it. Good man. Thanks. 1857 Been taking vitamin D myself supplements for, oh, God, the last, I don't know how many years. Wouldn't miss them every morning. It's just, it has that effect on you. I couldn't go without it now every day. The pubs are open in Britain as of today. Um, and the outdoors only. Uh, beer gardens are open. Outdoor tables are open for food and drink. Now, there's snow showers up and down the UK today, but at least they're celebrating and they've been waiting for this day for a very long time as we are still waiting for this day and God knows when we'll get to see the outside, let alone the inside of a pub. But on the day in which... The pubs are open on the outside in the UK. I thought we could catch up with Marion Healy. Marion is the managing director of the Healy Group, which owns a chain of pubs across London and the south of England, a chain of family pubs uh, in Hampshire and Hertfordshire and London and Surrey and Oxfordshire and Wiltshire. And Marion Healy is from Cork and she joins me now. Marion, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to talk to you. Um, 20-something pubs, is it, in the group? Yes, there's um, 21 pubs in in the group. Nice. Now, you've been 
you've been closed for how long? Well, we closed first on the 26th of March. That was the first lockdown. And then that um, we reopened on the 4th of July. And then, of course, we had to close again on the 2nd of November. Opened again on the 2nd of December. And um, reopening today, which is very exciting for us. Mm. Have you had much um, support from government in, in getting through this time? We did. So on the 26th of, of March, obviously, it, we had only four hours to close down. So we had, you know, cellarfuls of, of, of beer and, 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 and everything else. So um, straight away we got the, um, the grants, which was based on our rated valuation so we got 25,000 to the, the bigger pubs and 10 for the smaller ones. So that was a, that was a great boost because we were able to um, keep our managers going because they were all, you know, living in our pubs. So they had to do the security and everything else there. And that helped that. Of course, we still had to pay gas, electric, water, all of that. So we desperately needed it. Yeah. And... Uh, and that was that was that was a good boost. Yeah. Um, then the fourth of July, we had an awful lot to to do with guidance, and um, we had this ease. I, I'm sure you heard about this ease out help out. That's right. Yeah, the ten percent discount. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. And no, it's ten ten pounds. Oh, ten pounds. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. No, it wasn't 10%, it was £10, and you could have a um, meal for that. So yeah. that, that was a great um, help, I suppose, to, to people coming back into the... the, the, the oh, gosh, I would do it's this, okay. wouldn't I? Not a bother. <laughs> Not a bother. Um, we're talking so to Marion Healy from we... the Healy Group. Just remind listeners. Yeah, just in terms of customers, like, do you expect your, your pubs to be busy today? I know it's a very cold day across Britain. Um, it won't, won't, won't much appetite for sitting in a beer garden, but do you expect it to be busy coming up towards the, the weekend and stuff? Well, what we have done is we've done an awful lot for the outside areas. So the trend anyway in the hospitality is that the pub goes outside now. To, you bring the pub to the outside areas. So we had to put up marquees, uh, heaters, um, lighting. Um, so at least that's going forward. And I think um, there is an awful lot of enthusiasm. I mean, I was looking at the Facebooks this morning on, on the pubs mm. and everyone is fully booked, booked uh, for the food and things like that. So I think we will be all, all OK. And when um, is the next yeah. stage then, Marion? When, assuming everything goes well with the vaccination and with the numbers going yes. down, when can people come inside? It will be the 17th of May. That's all going well. And then people will be able to... To, to come into the to the um, to the pub, of course there's an awful lot of guidance. Uh, you know we have to have the uh, track and trace, but just for everybody that'll be coming into the the, mm. the pub, you know it would be the um, children under 16 um, yeah. or over 16, I think, and then they have the two two meters. Yeah. Um, and the there's only six people to uh, to. Um, a bench or a table or whatever so um and the managers themselves are going to test their 
their staff. I so see. To, well, they, of course, the, the, the quick testing, yeah. the antigen testing. Yeah. Marion, I wish you well with it over the next couple of months. And, we will. And indeed, will. I suppose, just to, to remind listeners that, or to, to mention to listeners that in actual fact, you are a sister of the late and much missed uh, Ted Dunn. Uh, and I just wanted oh, yeah. to mention it to you on air. I, our condolences with you as you continue with that awful grief. And I'm hoping that we'll be back very, very soon and, you know, see our, our, our families because yeah. that is important as well. And, you know, I hope that you'll be able to do that very soon Hopefully. and meet people in, in, in your pubs in Ireland. Okay. And um, there's one lady that I want to, to speak to. to Mention. Wishes, and that is Olive up in Shanagil because she's the mother of my daughter-in-law who hasn't seen her for over a year and she misses her so much. All and right. We miss all our family. We'll see, hopefully we'll see you all soon. Marion, thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. That's Marion Marian Healy. Thank Thanks bye a bye. lot. Thanks. Marion Healy from the Healy Group pubs across the south of England, uh, sister of the late uh, Ted Dunn. They're open there today um, in after a fashion, as it were. Get a sunny weekend, they'll be busy out. 1850-715-996. I wonder when we'll get even open on the outside. You never know. Has to be safe. It has to be safe. But you still wonder, don't you? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Bringing you all things Cork, great giveaways and the biggest tunes to race you through your afternoon. Here from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Mary O'Connor was on about the, uh, where is she? Where is she gone? Yeah, she was on about the special classes and the places for kids like Dara that we mentioned this morning and other children we've spoken about over the last number of weeks and I suppose over the last number of years. Mary said it's very upsetting listening to that man, Gary, trying to get a place for his son. I think PJ should contact Michal Martin's office and take him to task for this happening under his nose or also contact Michael McGrath's office. I have said it to them both on more than one occasion. Lads, get the finger out. In fact, when another former Cork TD, Bat O'Keefe, now retired, Bat was a Cork South Central TD, Bat was Minister for Education, oh, back, it's quite a while ago now, but when he was Minister of Education at the time, I had the opportunity to address uh, a dinner uh, where he was guest in his capacity as minister and I don't mind telling you I laid into him off the stage about how bad a situation we were headed for and should they've done nothing about it since absolutely nothing it's kind of animal type stories to um, to finish up today starting off with this one Glabby Veterinary Hospital was called to the aid of of all things a swan which was trapped in netting on a pitch at Parky Cueve. Strange story. Emma Turner is a veterinary nurse at Gillabby. Emma, good morning. Morning, how are you? How did this come about? Uh, well, I was working yesterday and we got a call from the local guardie to say that they had a swan in need of uh, emergency attention. So, And if anyone could go out and assist them. So uh, me and a colleague went out and we 
found this one um, up in the netting at the pitch. Mm. And, yeah, so we had to put together a plan to try and get it down. Haven't been on a swan rescue before, so that was very exciting. <laughs> what, what had happened? Had he just got entangled in it and tried to pull and drag his way out of it and got more entangled into it or what? Yeah, usually um, they sometimes they don't see it when they're flying. He was only a, a young swan, so he he quite inexperienced and probably just didn't see the netting properly and then just got entangled. And the more they try and get out, the more entangled they get. So it was wrapped all around one of his wings and also around one of his legs quite badly. Mm. Now, they're an animal that they can be quite savage if they're, if they're cornered, can't they? So when they're frightened, are they a bit dangerous to deal with? They can be, yeah. They, they do have a reputation for being quite aggressive and protective. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely is something that has to be handled very carefully. Um, he was quite exhausted from struggling for so long, so he didn't actually put up that much of a fight. But, yeah, you always have to be careful, especially when dealing with wildlife, just to make sure that everyone is safe and also the animal is safe. So, yeah, we had to handle that very carefully. Mm. And the main thing is to get their wings restrained because um, that's kind of the bit that does the damage. So, yeah, the first thing was to get the wings restrained so that then we could start cutting them out of the net. Mm. And will he be okay? Hopefully, yes. Uh, we gave him. I gave him a check over once we got him down and got him out of the net and everything. I gave him a check over, and he seemed to have some superficial wounds around um, his leg, his beak, and also on his one of his wings. Uh, but they seemed to be quite superficial. And I couldn't feel any obvious breaks at the time, Good. so I took him back um, to Galabi so that we could uh, give him a full exam. And also, he was quite exhausted, so we gave him some emergency treatment yeah. and let him rest for a couple of hours. So um, we then contacted uh, Wildlife Rehabilitation Island because he wasn't quite ready for release. So uh, we arranged to meet them and he's now been transferred to a specialist wildlife hospital. So we're hoping with a bit of rest and recuperation he'll be able for release soon. Hopefully he will. Good talking to you, Emma. Emma Turner, veterinary nurse at Gillabi Veterinary Hospital in Cork. They rescued that swan caught down in the nets at Parky Cueve. Now, from one animal story to another, could fungi be in Cork. He went missing from Kerry at Christmas time or well before Christmas, November time hasn't been seen since. He'd be 40 years of age around now I think or 40 years of age last year so people were wondering was he alive or dead or where was he, what happened to him a bottlenose dolphin we think has been spotted down south of the old head of Kinsale. Could it be that fungi had gone out of his 5k and come to live with us in Cork? We don't know yet but Emer Keevney is marine animal, a marine mammal ecologist and a co-founder of Orca Ireland, who have had some great videos over the weekend of this wonderful new creature. Is it fungi, Emer? Could it be fungi? Good morning. Hi, CJ. How are you keeping? Good. And um, yeah, so it is exciting, but it's also obviously a very sensitive subject, you know. So, um, fungi was obviously a much loved member of the dingle community. Um, so when we got a report to the observers that, you know, that it, there was a possible sighting of fungi because of this animal's behaviour, um, we had to look into it further. Um, so what we found now is that um, this animal has shown up um, in Kinsale Marina originally and it showed up five days ago and it has um, been sighted three times since. So the second time was 30 miles south of the old head of Kinsale. Um, and the dolphin spent more than two hours with Mike, who recorded that fabulous footage that we fir- first put up. Yeah. 
Um, and then um, it was also cited again more recently by Jasper and it spent three hours with Jasper. So um, the video footage then is quite blurry, you know, when we're trying to get still images um, from it. But we've been using um, techniques like um, dorsal fin and fluke photo, photo ID, but also facial recognition as well, which is a more novel method what? in um, patient research. Facial, yeah. facial recognition? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there was a brilliant paper by a researcher called Tillin Genos um, who actually looked at facial recognition in bottlenose dolphins. So um, we can have a look at that. And we had some great input from um, the cetacean research community from Frederique Lucas, who actually designed Arthur Ireland's logo. Um, and she compared the two images and she said, if you have a look here now, you can see, you know, under the ventral side of its rostrum, which is essentially its cheeks, you can clearly see fungi has more grey, whereas this individual in Kinsale has a lot more white. So right. it appears to be a bit younger. And um, people are also saying it's a lot smaller. And um, people who know fungi well are saying they don't think it's fungi. Right. But it is interesting because the dolphin is hanging around, you know, and it's seeking out human interaction. Right. So um, we're just asking members of the public to be mindful and keep their distance. But um, mm. if the dolphin does approach them or it gets close to them and they can get images or videos, to please send them to us. Because um, yeah. I suppose the point of the Fine Fungi uh, campaign is to raise awareness, really, and have fungi mm. be a mascot, you know, for a bottle of dolphins in Ireland in general. It would be lovely to have one of our own in Cork as well coming to visit us. Emer, thank you very much. Emer Caveney from Orca Ireland. Facial recognition on a dolphin. It's like something out of CSI. Probably not him. So do we have a fungi of our own? And maybe you'll think about it now. We're coming very close to the end of the programme. What would we call him? About three or four minutes. What would we, If we had a fungi of our own in Cork... What might we call him? 185715996. Just before we go, speaking of places to go when you can get out of your 5K, Fiona Corcoran has been to one of my favourite places in the whole country. She's been down this morning to lovely Fountainstown. It's fantastic. I actually wasn't going to come because it's so cold, but my friend persuaded me. So we've spent the last 20 minutes getting used to the cold, but it is absolutely fantastic. The sun is shining. As my friend says, it's like a summer's day. Did you get into the sea? Absolutely. Up to you. And a couple of minutes down, had to get the shoulders and the neck down. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Have you missed coming to the beach? Yeah, it's the one thing I'd say this year has been difficult for everybody and the the sea is kind of therapeutic for everybody so yes definitely missed it we've the last day we came here i think was was it stephen's day or christmas day and so just be able to get into the car and come down here now and absolutely travel within your county so thank god we can we can do it now at least it's like we're uh, things are looking up like we're able to travel within our county and we have the sun shining today yes and and we got rid of the kids back to (laughs) skills so I bet you everybody is just dumping the kids off at school gates and racing off to the beach that's that's it what what more could you want it feels great yeah just um, totally totally free Um, I went into the water there so it was beautiful yeah facing the sun the sun's out today fantastic is it cold? Um, I had a wetsuit on so I was kind of cheating but um, yeah it was a bit chilly but once you're down and the sun is out it makes things a lot easier, do you know. What is it about the beach that you missed so much? 
Um, I suppose the sea air and um, yeah, that just the water, the whole the sense of being in the water, do you know? Um, and yeah, just being more connected to the surrounding areas and everything. So yeah, just uh, yeah, the freedom of it. Freedom. Yeah. No. How difficult has the last couple of months been just travelling, staying within your 5k or has it been difficult even? Um, well, I'm very lucky. I'm living in Dripsy, so I'm surrounded by like lovely woodlands within the 5k. Um, so I haven't been that badly affected, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I did miss the water. Yeah, it's lovely to be outside of the 5k on a sunny day like today anyway. Have yeah. you missed the beach? Yes. Yeah, we only live up the road, um, but just too far outside of the, the, the restrictions. So yeah. it's nice to be able to pop down today when it's quiet as well. It's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what has it been? What is it about the, be- the beach that you love so much and that you miss so much? I think we're all just kind of dying to get to the beach. What is it about it? It's just so relaxing. <laughs> it's just lovely to see the water again yeah we would have done a lot of swimming last year and the year before so you know it's nice to know that maybe we can get back into it again and do you think that it's that this is what you've missed most has been stuck within your five kilometers over the last while i think so yeah just new places to go and you know uh, stuff that's nearly on your doorstep but just a little bit out of reach it's nice to get back to it oh it's amazing to come down and just to see the water and have the wind in her hair and uh, my little girl rose is three and she loves being by the beach so to have not been here for the last number of months has been you know very tough but we're absolutely thrilled so we're in the car at nine o'clock this morning straight down little baby asleep in the buggy so we're delighted and having our picnic and our little paddle it's it's amazing and it's great that we have the sunshine today as well oh sure you couldn't have picked a better day and the wind is nice and gentle so you can actually feel the heat on her face so looking better days are ahead and better things are coming so bring on the summer <laughs> do you think that that's been one of the hardest things is being able to not being able to go outside or five kilometres for the last couple of months? It has. It's been very tough and very challenging for people. Um, and I think that, you know, people were kind of at breaking points, so I'm delighted now that the 5K has been lifted and people can move because people have, you know, there's a lot going on and people have very tough situations, so to be able to travel and meet people outside now again and have picnics and especially for kids to be around with their friends um, you know, to be able to meet up with another family and come to the beach or go to the park it's brilliant, it's great Sometimes the the news people get the good gigs, don't they? That's uh, Fiona Corcoran headed off down to lovely Fountainstown this morning where you can now go uh, even if it is outside your 5k because 5k is gone as of today because of our situation I was lucky enough to be able to go to Fountainstown there just around St. Patrick's Day on a particularly beautiful day and I can tell you it's intact it looks as well and as beautiful as it always does and Angela is still doing the ice cream sandwiches and she's still doing the coffee and she's still doing the best toasted sandwich in that part of the county just thought I'd let you know yeah call him Corky, maybe, or Dolphin, uh, Rebel, good one. And Margaret sent us a picture of Jaws with the caption, Fungi's back home. He was in Tenerife getting his teeth done. Thank you, Margaret. Program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.